0: Chapter Thirty Two of the Orange Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gwendolyn Grace, The Orange Fairy Book by Andrew Lang, The White Slipper from Lapislandish Marchin J. C. Postian. Once upon a time there lived a king who had a daughter just fifteen years old, and what a daughter! Even the mothers who had daughters of their own could not help allowing that the princess was much more beautiful and graceful than any of them, and as for the fathers, if one of them had ever beheld her by accident, he could talk of nothing else for a whole day afterwards. Of course the king, whose name was Balancin was the complete slave of his little girl from the moment he lifted her from the arms of her dead mother. Indeed, he did not seem to know that there was any one else in the world to love. Now Diamantina, for that was her name, did not reach her fifteenth birthday without proposals for marriage from every country under heaven, but be the suitor who he might, the king always said him nay. Behind the palace a large garden stretched away to the foot of some hills, and more than one river flowed through hither the princess would come each evening towards sunset attended by her ladies and gather herself the flowers that were to adorn her rooms she also brought with her a pair of scissors to cut off the dead blooms and a basket to put them in so that when the sun rose the next morning he might see nothing unsightly when she had finished this task she would walk through the town so that the poor people might have a chance of speaking with her and telling her of their troubles and then she would seek out her father and together they would consult over the best means of giving help to those who needed it but what has all this to do with the white slipper my readers will ask have patience and you will see next to his daughter Balancin loved hunting and it was his custom to spend several mornings each week chasing the boars which abounded in the mountains a few miles from the city one day rushing downhill as fast as he could go he put his foot into a hole and fell rolling into a rocky pit of brambles the king's wounds were not so very severe but his face and hands were cut and torn while his feet were in a worse plight still for instead of proper hunting boots he only wore sandals to enable him to run more swiftly in a few days the king was as well as ever and the signs of the scratches were almost gone but one foot still remained very sore where a thorn had pierced deeply and had festered the best doctors in the kingdom treated it with all their skill they bathed and poulticed and bandaged but it was in vain the foot only grew worse and worse and became daily more swollen and painful after every one had tried his own particular cure and found it fail there came news of a wonderful doctor in some distant land who had healed the most astonishing diseases on inquiring it was found that he never left the walls of his own city and expected his patients to come to see him but by dint of offering a large sum of money the king persuaded the famous physician to undertake the journey to his own court on his arrival the doctor was led at once into the king's presence and made a careful examination of his foot alas your majesty he said when he had finished the wound is beyond the power of man to heal but though i cannot cure it i can at least deaden the pain and enable you to walk without so much suffering Oh, if you could only do that!" cried the king. "I shall be grateful to you for life. Give your own orders; they shall be obeyed. Then let your Majesty bid the royal shoemaker make you a shoe of goatskin, very loose and comfortable. While I prepare a varnish to paint over it, for which I alone have the secret." So saying, the doctor bowed himself out, leaving the king more cheerful and hopeful than he had been for long the days passed very slowly with him during the making of the shoe and the preparation of the varnish but on the eighth morning the physician appeared bringing with him the shoe in a case he drew it out to slip on the king's foot and over the goatskin he had rubbed a polish so white that the snow itself was not more dazzling while you wear the shoe you will not feel the slightest pain said the doctor for the balsam with which I have rubbed it inside and out has beside its healing balm the quality of strengthening the material it touches, so that even were your majesty to live a thousand years, you would find the slipper just as fresh at the end of that time as it is now. The king was so eager to put it on that he hardly gave the physician time to finish. He snatched it from the case and thrust his foot into it, nearly weeping for joy when he found he could walk and run as easily as any beggar-boy. "'What can I give you?' he cried, holding out both hands to the man who had worked this wonder. "'Stay with me, and I will heap on you riches greater than ever you dreamed of.' But the doctor said he would accept nothing more than had been agreed on, and must return at once to his own country, where many sick people were awaiting him so king balancin had to content himself with ordering the physician to be treated with royal honours and desiring that an escort should attend him on his journey home for two years everything went smoothly at court and to king balancin and his daughter the sun no sooner rose than it seemed time for it to set now the king's birthday fell in the month of june and as the weather happened to be unusually fine he told the Princess to celebrate it in any way that pleased her. Diamantina was very fond of being on the river, and she was delighted at this chance of delighting her tastes. She would have a merry-making such as never had been seen before, and in the evening when they were tired of sailing and rowing, there should be music and dancing, plays, and fireworks at the very end, before the people went home, every poor person should be given a loaf of bread and every girl who was to be married within the year a new dress. The great day appeared to Diamantina to be long in coming, but like other days it came at last. Before the sun was fairly up in the heavens, the princess, too full of excitement to stay in the palace, was walking about the streets so covered with precious stones that you had to shade your eyes before you could look at her. By and by a trumpet sounded, and she hurried home only to appear again in a few moments walking by the side of her father down to the river here a splendid barge was waiting for them and from it they watched all sorts of races and feats of swimming and diving when these were over the barge proceeded up the river to a field where the dancing and concerts were to take place and after the prizes had been given away to the winners and the loaves and the dresses had been distributed by the princess they bade farewell to their guests and turned to step into the barge which was to carry them back to the palace then a dreadful thing happened as the king stepped on board the boat one of the sandals of the white slipper which had got loose caught in a nail that was sticking out and caused the king to stumble the pain was so great And unconsciously he turned and shook his foot so that the sandals gave way, and in a moment the precious shoe was in the river. It all had occurred so quickly that nobody had noticed the loss of the slipper, not even the princess, whom the king's cries speedily brought to his side. What is the matter, dear father? asked she, but the king could not tell her, and only managed to gasp out, My shoe, my shoe while the sailors stood round staring thinking that his majesty had suddenly gone mad seeing her father's eyes fixed on the stream diamantina looked hastily in that direction there dancing on the current was the point of something white which became more and more distant the longer they watched it the king could bear the sight no more and besides now that the healing ointment of the shoe had been removed The pain in his foot was as bad as ever. He gave a sudden cry, staggered, and fell over the bulwarks into the water. In an instant the river was covered with bobbing heads, all swimming their fastest towards the king, who had been carried far down by the swift current. At length one swimmer, stronger than the rest, seized hold of his tunic and drew him to the bank, where a thousand eager hands were ready to haul him out he was carried unconscious to the side of his daughter who had fainted with terror on seeing her father disappear below the surface and together they were placed in a coach and driven to the palace where the best doctors in the city were awaiting their arrival in a few hours the princess was as well as ever but the pain the wetting and the shock of the accident all told severely on the king and for three days he lay in a high fever Meanwhile his daughter, herself nearly mad with grief, gave orders that the white slipper should be sought far and wide, and so it was, but even the cleverest divers could find no trace of it at the bottom of the river. When it became clear that the slipper must have been carried out to sea by the current, Diamantina turned her thoughts elsewhere, and sent messengers in search of the doctor who had brought relief to her father begging him to make another slipper as fast as possible to supply the place of the one which was lost. But the messengers returned with the sad news that the doctor had died some weeks before, and what was worse, his secret had died with him. In his weakness, this intelligence had such an effect on the king that the physicians feared he would become as ill as before. He could hardly be persuaded to touch food, And all night long he lay moaning, partly with pain and partly over his own folly in not having begged the doctor to make him several dozens of white slippers, so that in the case of accidents he might always have one to put on. However, by and by he saw that it was no use weeping and wailing, and commanded that they should search for his lost treasure more diligently than ever. What a sight the river banks presented in those days! It seemed as if all the people in the country were gathered on them, but this second search was no more fortunate than the first, and at last the king issued a proclamation that whoever found the missing slipper should be made heir to the crown, and should marry the princess. Now many daughters would have rebelled at being disposed of in this manner, and it must be admitted that Diamantina's heart sank when she heard what the king had done still she loved her father so much that she desired his comfort more than anything else in the world so she said nothing and only bowed her head of course the result of the proclamation was that the river banks became more crowded than before for all the princess's suitors from distant lands flocked to the spot each hoping that he might be the lucky finder many times a shining stone at the bottom of the stream was taken for the slipper itself and every evening saw a band of dripping downcast men returning homewards but one youth always lingered longer than the rest and night would still see him engaged in the search though his clothes stuck to his skin and his teeth chattered one day when the king was lying on his bed racked with pain he heard the noise of a scuffle going on in his antechamber and rang a golden bell that stood by his side to summon one of his servants sire answered the attendant when the king inquired what was the matter the noise you heard was caused by a young man from town who has had the impudence to come here to ask if he may measure your majesty's foot so as to make you another slipper in place of the lost one "'And what have you done to the youth?' said the king. "'The servants pushed him out of the palace, "'and added a few blows to teach him not to be so insolent,' replied the man. "'Then they did very ill,' answered the king with a frown. "'He came here from kindness, and there was no reason to maltreat him.' "'Oh, my lord, he had the audacity to wish to touch your majesty's sacred person. He—' a good-for-nothing boy, a mere shoemaker's apprentice, perhaps. And even if he could make shoes to perfection, they would be no use without the soothing balsam. The king remained silent for a few moments. Then he said, Never mind. Go and fetch the youth and bring him to me. I would gladly try any remedy that may relieve my pain. So soon afterwards the youth who had not gone far from the palace was caught and ushered into the king's presence he was tall and handsome and though he professed to make shoes his manners were good and modest and he bowed low as he begged the king not only to allow him to take the measure of his foot but also to suffer him to place a healing plaster over the wound Balancin was pleased with the young man's voice and appearance and thought that he looked as if he knew what he was doing so he stretched out his bad foot which the youth examined with great attention and then gently laid on a plaster very shortly the ointment began to soothe the sharp pain and the king whose confidence increased every moment begged the young man to tell him his name i have no parents they died when i was 6 sire replied the youth modestly Every one in town calls me Gilgerio, because when I was little I went singing through the world in spite of my misfortunes. Luckily for me, I was born to be happy. And you really think you can cure me? asked the king. Completely, my lord, answered Gilgario. And how long do you think it will take? It is not an easy task, but I will try to finish it in a fortnight, replied the youth a fortnight seemed to the king a long time to make one slipper but he only said do you need anything to help you only a good horse if your majesty will be kind enough to give me one answered gilgario and the reply was so unexpected that the courtiers could hardly restrain their smiles while the king stared silently you shall have the horse he said at last and i shall expect you back in a fortnight if you fulfil your promise you know your reward if not i will have you flogged for your impudence Gilgario bowed and turned to leave the palace followed by jeers and scoffs of every one he met but he paid no heed for he had got what he wanted he waited in front of the gates till a magnificent horse was led up to him and vaulting into the saddle with the ease which rather surprised the attendant rode quickly out of town amidst the jests of the assembled crowd who had heard of his audacious proposal and while he is on his way let us pause for a moment to tell who he is both father and mother had died before the boy was 6 years old and he had lived for many years with his uncle whose life had been passed in the study of chemistry he could leave no money to his nephew as he had a son of his own but he taught him all he knew and at his death gilgerio entered an office where he worked for many hours daily in his spare time instead of playing with the other boys he passed hours poring over books and because he was timid and liked to be alone he was held by everyone to be a little mad therefore when it became known that he had promised to cure the king's foot and had ridden away no one knew where a roar of laughter and mockery rang through the town and jeers and scoffing words were sent after him but if they had only known what were gilgario's thoughts they would have thought him madder than ever the real truth was that on the morning when the princess had walked through the streets before making a holiday on the river gilgario had seen her from his window and had straightway fallen in love with her of course he felt quite hopeless it was absurd to imagine that the apothecary's nephew could ever marry the king's daughter so he did his best to forget her and study harder than before till the royal proclamation suddenly filled him with hope when he was free he no longer spent the precious moments poring over books But like the rest, he might have been seen wandering along the banks of the river, or diving into the stream after something that lay glistening in the clear water, but which turned out to be a white pebble or a bit of glass. And at the end he understood that it was not by the river that he would win the princess, and turning to his books for comfort, he studied harder than ever. There is an old proverb which says, Everything comes to him who knows how to wait. It is not all men who know how to wait, any more than it is all men who can learn by experience. But Gilgario was one of the few, and instead of thinking his life wasted because he could not have the thing he wanted most, he tried to busy himself in other directions. So one day, when he expected it least, his reward came to him. He happened to be reading a book many hundreds of years old which told of remedies for all kinds of diseases. Most of them, he knew, were merely invented by old women, who sought to prove themselves wiser than other people. But at length he came to something which caused him to sit up straight in his chair, and made his eyes brighten. This was the description of a balsam, which would cure every kind of sore or wound, distilled from a plant only to be found in a country so distant that it would take a man on foot two months to go and come back again when i say that the book declared that the balsam could heal every sort of sore or wound there were a few against which it was powerless and it gave certain signs by which these might be known this was the reason why gagario demanded to see the king's foot before he would undertake to cure it and to obtain admittance he gave out that he was a shoemaker however the dreaded signs were absent and his heart bounded at the thought that the princess was within his reach perhaps she was but a great deal had to be accomplished yet and he had allowed himself a very short time in which to do it he spared his horse only so much as was needful yet it took him six days to reach the spot where the plant grew a thick wood lay in front of him and fastening the bridle to a tree he flung himself on his hands and knees and began to hunt for the treasure many a time he fancied it was close to him and many a time it turned out to be something else but at last when light was fading and he had almost given up hope he came upon a large bed of the plant right under his feet Trembling with joy, he picked every scrap he could see and placed it in his wallet. Then, mounting his horse, he galloped quickly back towards the city. It was night when he entered the gates, and the fifteen days allotted were not up till the next day. His eyes were heavy with sleep and his body ached with the long strain, but without pausing to rest he kindled a fire on his hearth and quickly filling a pot with water threw in the herbs and left them to boil after that he lay down and slept soundly the sun was shining when he awoke and he jumped up and ran to the pot the plant had disappeared and in its stead was a thick syrup just as the book had said there would be he lifted the syrup out with a spoon and after spreading it in the sun till it was partly dry poured it into a small flask of crystal he next washed himself thoroughly and dressed himself in his best clothes and putting the flask in his pocket set out for the palace and begged to see the king without delay now Balancin, whose foot had been much less painful since Gilgerio had wrapped it in the plaster was counting the days to the young man's return and when he was told gilgario was there ordered him to be admitted at once. As he entered, the king raised himself eagerly on his pillows, but his face fell when he saw no signs of a slipper. "'You have failed, then?' he said, throwing his hands up in despair. "'I hope not, your majesty.' "'I think not,' answered the youth. And drawing the flask from his pocket, he poured two or three drops on the wound repeat this for three nights and you will find yourself cured said he and before the king had time to thank him he had bowed himself out of course the news soon spread through the city and men and women never tired of calling Gilgario an impostor and prophesying that the end of the three days would see him in prison if not on the scaffold but Gilgario paid no heed to their hard words and no more did the king who took care that no hand but his own should put on the healing balsam on the fourth morning the king awoke and instantly stretched out his wounded foot that he might prove the truth or falsehood of gilgario's remedy the wound was certainly cured on that side but how about the other yes that was cured also and not even a scar was left to show where it had been was ever any king so happy as Balancin when he satisfied himself of this? Lightly as a deer he jumped from his bed and began to turn head over heels and to perform all sorts of antics so as to make sure that his foot was in truth as well as it looked, and when he was quite tired he sent for his daughter and bade the courtiers to bring the lucky young man to his room. is really young and handsome,' said the princess to herself heaving a sigh of relief that it was not some dreadful old man who had healed her father, and while the king was announcing to his courtiers the wonderful cure that had been made, Diamantina was thinking that if Gilgario looked so well in his common dress, how much improved by the splendid garments of a king's son. However she held her peace, and only watched with amusement when the courtiers, knowing there was no help for it, did homage and obeisance to the chemist's boy then they brought gilgario a magnificent tunic of green velvet bordered with gold and a cap with 3 white plumes stuck in it and at the sight of him so arrayed the princess fell in love with him in a moment the wedding was fixed to take place in 8 days and at the ball afterwards nobody danced so long or so lightly as king balancin End of the White Slipper from the Orange Fairy Book by Andrew Lang. Recording by Gwendolyn Grace